Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, how have you been keeping? Well, I struggle on, but I never complain, which I think is an admirable trait, Dom. I really yeah. do. Yeah, good. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's very kind of you. Um, I've got, so we'll get cracking. First question, how did you get into the industry and why? Well, it's an interesting one, this. I, I was saying this on an interview the other day. My very first experience of doing any theatre was, it was the local Amdram down in Weymouth. And my mum is the, one of the linchpins of the Operatic Society. And years ago, back in 1983, at the Weymouth Pavilion, they were doing a production of The King and I. And they, you need all these royal children. They have to come on and they bow to Mrs. Anna and they bow to the king and then they go and sit down again. And I didn't really want to do it, but I was dragged on it and was told pretty much you're going to do it. They're after kids. I was age seven at the time. Yeah. And I loved it. I had a bit of comedy business with a sticky sweet mm. that I had to put behind my back very, very slowly. And all of a sudden on the opening night, it was about a thousand people out there. It's a big theatre. And I suddenly realized if I do this with the Swedes and then I look away and then I look back at them and then I look out front I'm going to get a huge laugh and I don't know why I knew that age seven but I yeah. did and I got the laugh and it was uh, that was it from then on I, that, that was what I wanted to do it was an amazing feeling yeah and so what was your first memory of theatre um like what was the first show you remember seeing it's again an interesting one so the very, very first show I ever remember seeing was age three. This is September 1979. Again, it's at the Weymouth Pavilion, scene of many triumphs. Yeah. And it was the operatic. Mum was in the chorus of Camelot. I don't know if you know Camelot, Laverna yeah. and Lair. And so she was in, I remember the band, was dreadful. I remember that when I was age three. But the, the show was fascinating to me. It was all about castles. Yeah. And I, I always thought it was quite a magical place. Though, interestingly, as a kid, I never really liked Panto. Oh, wow. Now, I'm in a minority of one in not really enjoying Panto. I feel awful saying it. I feel like I'm swearing in church. Because I know that Panto is massively important. Because it's yeah. often kids' first, first encounter with theatre. So it's important it's a good one. And often it saves theatres financially. Yeah. So I understand it's totally important. I don't know, it just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I remember once going to the Bournemouth Pavilion, age 12. Oh, my mother, who has much to answer for, <laughs> managed to get me, no, 11, I was 11, managed to get me taken up on stage to sing There's a Worm at the Bottom of the Garden. Oh, and everyone else is about six. I was so cross. And, and the thing is, I never think of the clever, funny thing to say in that moment. Yeah. Only afterwards. But on this occasion, I did, because the comic was going along the line, whoever it was, silly Billy, mm -hmm. and was saying to them, so what's your name? My name's Lucinda. Mm -hmm. And are you married, Lucinda? No. And I, oh, and I thought he's going to do that to me, isn't he? <laughs> I was at the end of the line and I thought what are you going to say and he came up to me and he said what's your name and I said Jamie he said are you married I said no I'm divorced and it brought the house down so just for once for once I thought of the clever yeah. thing to say in that moment yeah next, so, the short that. answer to that is the first thing I said was Camelot 
Yeah, so I love Panto, but going when I went growing up, I could never bring myself to go be brought up on stage, do that bit at the end. I couldn't do it. Um, I didn't want yeah. to. It was my mother yeah. managed to get me volunteered for me. No, no, I didn't. I always say, I mean, I'm, I'm the least sort of impromptu performer at a party. I mean, if for karaoke, I have to know what's the key. I want to have it practised. Yeah. I want it lit. You know, I, I, I'm not one of those ones just stand up with a mic, unless I'm plastered, then I'll do anything. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, when I was at uni, we did like a Christmas show um, in, our, in our second year. We, we linked up with Polton's Park and we did a Christmas show for them. And I love performing in those types of shows but and I love watching them. But the idea of being brought up on stage and being, you know, audience participation, it, it, it didn't, doesn't, doesn't do it for me. Well, I was once taught a very important lesson that you can say, if ever you don't want to take part in audience participation, you have to remember the three magic words. If someone is coming towards you about to try and take you up on stage and you really don't want to go, you have to say in a very loud, clear voice, I have fits. And they will leave you alone. They will, they will not come and drag you up on stage. So remember the magic words. Yeah. Who inspired you growing up? And, you know, people in the industry, people outside Ooh. of the industry? Well, it, it, gosh, lots of people. So I would say just someone who means a huge amount to me was my grandma. We, we sort of grew up with my grandma. There was no dad on the scene, but there was a nan. So for me, it was never mum and dad, but always mum and nan. And she was a tremendously inspiring figure, clever and kind. And she, she died age 97, a ripe old age, a few years ago. But I always say that when somebody who's influenced you that much is no longer with you and they pass away, in a way they haven't gone because it's like a thread running through the tapestry of your life. It's inextricably interwoven with your life. You know, a day doesn't go by without you thinking a thought they put there or saying something that they would have said or thinking about their response to something, what they would have done. And so therefore they're not gone. And in that way, I think we, people can achieve immortality yeah. and then I, I was very fortunate in that down in this little seaside resort in Weymouth a lady called Pat Oddie had retired down there and she'd previously been one of the head of heads of acting at the Birmingham School of Speech and Drama now I think it's the Birmingham School of Acting isn't yeah. it but back then and so it's very rare to have a head of acting from a major a UK drama school in Weymouth but we had one and so I used to do a lot of land exams and, and work with her. So she was a huge inspiration. And then everyone you work with. I mean, I worked with Debbie Isaac, who's the creator of the Nativity films, and she's an inspiration. Yeah. She's extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, everyone you work with, you'll... you'll I remember I got a job at the Pitlockery Festival Theatre very shortly after graduating from the Bristol yeah. Old Vic. And I just go and watch work some of these very experienced actors because you're there for seven and a half months in the middle of nowhere really and beautiful but there's not much to do other than act yeah. and watch people acting and so it was that they were inspirational too yeah and what was your first professional job when graduating sure so after i graduated i'd worked at the bristol Vic with a fabulous director called sue wilson who'd come in to do some radio with us, but she was doing a play called Breaking the Code at the Chester Gateway. And so I was asked in to read, read for that up into London. And then I got that job. And so I played Christopher 
in breaking the code at the Chester Gateway at the beginning of 2002. So almost 20 years ago for that one. That was my first job. And there's nothing quite as exciting yeah. as that. Because you then think, well, actually, you're an actor now, aren't you? Yeah. You're on your way, hopefully. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, positive things about the industry. But, you know, when I was tra training myself, obviously, we were always told that it's, you know, it's not the easiest of industries and it's not sort of a walk in the park. But so what are some of the hardest or challenging things about the industry that people should know before coming into it? Maybe things you've experienced as well. Yeah. One of the things I think you, you ought to be told when people are training is you need another job particularly if you want to do telly yeah because with yeah. telly you might have four jobs in a year and look at your imdb page and go well that was a good one yeah and you think that was great you had a week a few episodes on that and one on that but you probably if you count up the days you're actually in working there aren't that many and so you need to have another way of supplementing your income so for instance i I'm a principal coach with the London Speech Workshop. Mm. I actually trained to be a, a speech teacher before I trained to be an actor. I went to university doing an academic degree while simultaneously doing external teaching exams with Lambda. And I got that qualification and then went and got the scholarship at the Bristol Old Vic. Mm. So I think that's absolutely key. And I, I, I really believe that there are an awful lot of actors, and I was like this for a while, for whom they have a not a pleasant lie, temping or working, doing a job they don't really enjoy. And almost getting an acting job becomes an escape from their life. And that's not healthy. Yeah. So, you know, you should never have to escape from your life, I think. You should enjoy your life. And I endeavour to enjoy mine. And what would you say are some of the, sort of the misconceptions that people have about what we do? You know, some people outside of the industry, they don't really get what we do. And I've seen over the past <laughs> few months make a lot of comments. What would you say are some of the misconceptions? Well, I mean, they're, they're fairly legion, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, the big one is that it's quite glamorous. It ain't hmm. at all. It's quite a tricky existence. I mean, of course, no one is saying, my grandmother had a wonderful phrase, if ever I was complaining too much. She'd say, Jamie, dear, it is not the trenches and you just have to get on with it. So I'm not claiming that either. But it's not glamorous. It, you have to take a lot of rejection and be able to roll with that and take a big, deep breath and have that inner core of belief. That That's absolutely vital in terms of the industry. I also think people have an odd relationship with it. They don't quite understand it. I mean, I used to have friends from Weymouth used to say, do you know what you should do? You need to go on Coronation Street. You think, oh, I'll have a word with them. You know, it's not quite as simple. It's not yeah. quite as simple as that. And and also, you know, this whole thing about unemployment. I mean, you imagine a plumber, you know, as an actor. Yeah. Occasionally you go to a party and someone would say, what are you doing? You're resting like it was a hilarious joke. I mean, you'd never do that no. to a plumber. Would you go you say, Wow, how are you? Are you unemployed? <laughs> yeah, you'd never do it. But, um, well, it's a small price to pay for a job that, yeah. when it's good, mm. is like no other job at all. I yeah. mean, genuinely, it, it is. I understand, of course, why we do it, because yeah. when it's good, it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, remember when we first went into lockdown and the whole industry is being sort of very vocal about wanting financial support from the government and the mainstream media were fantastic at you know help you know putting stuff on their twitter accounts and their facebook about you know 
demand, you know, sort of getting the government to help us. And I remember looking at the one that the BBC News put up and I was looking at their comment section and the comment section from people outside the industry sort of talking about what we do is just dire and people sort of saying, you know, we should get a different job, but we should get a proper job. And it's... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the absolute key thing yeah. is you just don't read those. Yeah. I, there yeah. are certain things with the comment sections where I just think, generally peopled by people with far too much time on their hands and a walloping chip on the shoulder and that's not a great combo yeah. so I, I never really, I make a point of reading those yeah who's been your favorite person to work with oh gosh that's a question can I pick a few yeah you can pick as yeah pick as many as you want okay so I'm gonna say for different reasons, who have I really loved, loved, loved working with. Debbie Isaac, who, as I mentioned, on Nativity, is amazing. I don't know if you, uh, do you know Debbie, the way she works? Yeah. It's, it's all through yeah. improvisation. It's there isn't a script and she just opens doors all the time. So I began to think about myself differently in this industry from working with her. She's also a genius. She knows what's what. She'll know. And I like it. It's, she, she never directs through riddles it's like that's it or that's it she makes clear-cut decisions but she also gives you massive freedom to come up with stuff if you want a better exit line and a debbie yeah. isaac production yeah. think of one try one she'll tell you she doesn't like it yeah but you can try and she won't mind you trying at all mm. so i love that so she's wonderful to work with it was a massive privilege to work with ricky gervais yeah. on extras yeah. he's a gene i mean he's nuclear funny I mean, I'm pretty good at not corpsing, but there was a scene which you can see on the outtakes where I can't keep it together. I can't, because <laughs> he's just so funny and was also really kind and lovely to us. That was such a, a lovely job. Who else? I'm also going to pick up Celia Imry, who I was in the film Nativity Rocks with, who was wonderful and so kind. And it's a much sort of underused word, this, but she's a real lady do you know what i mean yeah. we just go what a lady i i said to someone else in an interview once i think we should all see if we can pass the celia test i want to be like celia when i grow up i want to say i think the test has to be how celia are you yeah. and then also in that film i had a ball working with craig revel horwood yeah it you. was joyous my dad met joy craig my dad met Craig a few years ago, actually. He was doing a directing a play at the Watermill Theatre down in Newbury. And my dad was at a local, sort of the local pub um, with some students he works with. He works with autistic students. And Craig Bevel Horde came over and spoke to the students and interacted with them and actually ended up paying their bill. He ended up going, oh, going, going over Yeah, to it's them. very, very Craig. He's a lovely, lovely chap. Oh, oh we did have a giggle. Oh, we had a I can remember the, the days because we were doing we were the nasty pair doing the auditions for the kids. Yes. And I remember we did two days of doing that and my sight hurt. We <laughs> laughed and we laughed and we laughed. Had a lovely time. Yeah. What is of what do you love most about the industry and theatre and things like that? Well, again, lots and lots and lots of things, but it is the acting itself. Mm. There's something about that. Mm. There's something about that. You can't worry about something else when you're doing it. It's absolutely all-encompassing. I, I love it. I love that mix of terror and excitement. Mm. 
that's a feeling like no other. I was trying to describe to a friend the other day why I miss theatre so much. And I even said the smell. And she said, what do you mean the smell? And I said, it's dust and fear. But it's a heady mix. It's wonderful. That moment just before when you almost wish you weren't there, but you want to be there. And also somehow there's something even about auditions, tough as they are, that brings out the, come on, you can do it. Try this, try that. I love it. And also the biggest thing, I've done a lot of comedy, is in a theatre, that wonderful life-affirming sound of a rolling laugh around the auditorium. Oh, I love laughter on mass. It's so, I can't wait to hear it again. Yeah. I can't wait. I remember I went to the, the Palladium not long after lockdown to see Songs for a New World. And that, I mean, the atmosphere in that auditorium on that day was just in, incredible. It's not, I mean, I've been to loads of shows over the years where it's had, a, had the auditorium has an amazing atmosphere, but there was something about that particular day that made it so special. And you can see- Oh, the I know. Yeah, theatre is extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? Because it, there is that moment where you think this is just for us in this yeah. space. But you see, it can also be telly. I mean, I did a, a guest spot on Holby just, to, just sort of shortly before we went into lockdown. Yeah. And that was wonderful. So it's a slightly different kind of wonderful because yeah. it's this detailed way of trying to get this character just right. And you have a number of goes at it mm. and you, you're from the different shots and there's your close up. And I love that too, mm. where you're creating this. It's sort of a different kind of work. It's the same. Acting is exactly yeah. the same, no matter what medium. The only difference, of course, is projection. So in a big theatre, you're having to project it over there. Whereas on telly you've only if you're in close-up you've got to get it to the end of your nose but it's the same thing it's just a matter of projection and I love learning more about that but new things love new things looking back over your career what are some of your highlights or favorite moments that you've done or had so I would probably have to say I'd have to say extras was a wonderful gig I mean that was a lovely gig to get extras so I was the first one he ever said, are you having a laugh to? And so getting, being a regular on extras was wonderful. And yeah, and meeting people like Sarah Moyle, who's so funny, and Lisa Tarbuck and Ricky. And oh, it was an amazing time. I loved doing Red Dwarf. So I, I was in series 12 of that. There's an outrageous character called Ziggy Bryceman in a ship that had no criticism. And so everyone, everything was wildly exaggerated, most of all me. And that was so much fun. And, and turning up, and, and I said this in an interview the other day, it's one of the few times I've actually come onto a set and almost screamed. Because there's Crichton and there's, there's all of them just sat there, this cat, and you think, and I'm sat here with them. And I used to watch them at university. We always used to troop off to the TV room. God, I'm dating myself now. But we used to troop and watch Red Dwarf. This was the, our programme. And here I am sat with them and I'm looking at them literally yeah. doing a scene with them so that was a highlight nativity yeah. is the show doing nativity and doing the film and that stage show is so special that was wonderful yeah. oh god so many things it's so hard mm. to choose because there are so many also I love doing I was in the mousetrap for a year in town and that is part of theatre history I mean the mousetrap is what it is but it's God, I, yeah, it was so much fun. And I also made my best friend in the world yeah. there. She was playing Miss Casewell and I was playing Christopher, mm -hmm. Christopher Wren in that. And 
uh, yeah, so I, I was either for that entire year, 06 to 07, I was either on stage or in Helen Kirkpatrick's dressing room. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, what is it about nativity that makes you go back to it? And then what, what kept you going back to it? It's fascinating. So A, it's the way Debbie works, I think, because it's never the same. If you, you, even if you come back to it another year, it's yeah. the same story. It's the same structure. Those lines won't be the same. Often they're not completely the same. Two shows running. Yeah. It's got to be fresh. Otherwise, Debbie won't have it. Uh, and she's quite right too. So it'll, there'll be different things in there. You're always reaching out for different things to put in there. It's got to change. It's never just set in aspect. So I love that. Also, the story is amazing. And the response from audiences is extraordinary. Yeah. That story because it's it's intergenerational because you'll you'll be looking on the front row and sometimes the finale quite often just turns into a party at the stalls yeah. people stand up and dance to sparkle yeah. and shine it's also very festive at that time it's a magical yeah. show i saw it really. in southampton about in 2019 and i loved oh, it oh did you yeah i sat second, yeah i sat second or third row and i'd seen the film i mean we've all seen the film and loved that but there was something about the stage show that it just left me feeling so positive and uplifted. It's and extraordinary, it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the, the, the main fact, do you know, that week I let you into a secret. Everyone was going down with norovirus that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard to sparkle and shine through that, I tell you. I mind you, I, I always use the anti-back. I always did, even before this, so yeah. I was all right. <laughs> but yeah, it was like another one bites the dust. The thing I went that the day that Scott Page was off, um, he was off for quite a few days, and so I went and saw it then. But, you know, it was really... see, did you see Simon? Simon yes, Lickson, I did, yeah. I mean, Simon's amazing. He was fantastic. And it was nice because obviously he, he originated the part when he was on stage, when it came to the stage first. So I've been wanting to see him for ages. And there was just something about his performance that was so... Oh, he's wonderful. He's got a tremendous energy. And all is interesting because the rest of the cast, most of whom had not worked with Simon, I think some had, but, but a lot of hadn't. I remember being backstage and, of course, Mr. Poppy starts the show and you hear this voice, you're waiting off stage, me in a Christmas tree outfit at that point, which I won't tell you about. But I can remember them all saying to me, God, it sounds strange to hear another voice doing it. I thought, not remotely. I've heard him do it hundreds of times before. But no, it was lovely. And he came down at literally hours notice. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what a trooper. Yeah, I mean, there's a moment during the show where I think him and, him and um, Scott Garnham had a moment on stage. I think, I don't know, one of them forgot a line or something happened, but you could see that they were trying not to laugh. But I think they did have a bit of a, sort of a giggle and things like that. But Yeah, I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but I noticed it. I loved it. I love it when moments go wrong on stage. And I think the beauty yeah. about that show is you can get away with it a bit, especially with him and, you know, with Mr. Poppy and... You know those two I think you sort of get away with moments and things like that but, and I love the show and a few of my friends ended up seeing it when it went to London and they loved it and oh yeah yeah and it was really good it's a huge theatre there the the London one we always did it at the Hammersmith Apollo so it's called something different Eventim Apollo the Eventim Apollo yeah I think we have to call it yeah well, I'm still old I always call it the Hammersmith Apollo so the but that theatre is I think 3,600 seater yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary looking at there. Extraordinary. Particularly, I mean, I wasn't really particularly a musicals performer. I, my, my background was in straight theatre. Uh, very legit, who you know. And that is much smaller. So uh, to begin with, it was like, a, 
why are these people so far away? It's just it's so big. You can get them in because the whole thing with plays is you've got to get them in. Get them in. Get them as near to me as possible. I need to see the whites of their eyes. So it did take a bit of adjustment, but I mean, I'm well adjusted now. That was years ago. So how did you end up getting Nativity? Because you're not known for your musicals. Like you normally do, you know, your straight theatre. How did Nativity go? Well, here you go with Debs, you see, because Debs casts, I think she just wants to see some interesting people. So it doesn't, I don't think Debs really cares what you've done Mm. before, especially what kind of act you've been before. It's more get them in. So your agent gets you a casting. And I remember going in and this wonderful mischievous presence sat there and you know when you something go in and I don't know something you just like someone on the spot and I liked it on the spot I just there was something fun and mischievous and do you know if I were to try and bottle it, it would be like she'd be saying go on go on try it go on try it that, that's sort of what she's like and you know have a go have a go try it and so I did two songs and I'm you know all right as a singer but not wonderful but that wasn't the point. She's after about, I think she's looking for what characters have I got in this? Mm. Who, who can I use as various characters? And so really I was very fortunate in that I got the chance to really play the majority of the, yeah. the character cameo comedy yeah. parts in it. The critic and, and the priest and then the tour guide and a nasty receptionist and a, yeah. an egotistical Christmas tree and a in the opening you know you get all these lovely little bits so yeah yeah, that's why I go back is because it's always different and it's always fun and it is magical yeah so would you do more musicals or do you think you're going to stick to straight straight oh no I would I I I got a huge respect for people who do musicals and do you know who I really respect swings yeah I don't know how they do it I don't get it I mean the the talent there is extraordinary I mean, if I'm going to go on and do something, I need to have gone over it and over it. And that's your part, isn't it? You do more part and you push that. Well, they know about four different parts. Extraordinary. And, you know, just the amount, you see them dance. I mean, when it's first set, the dances, I mean, I'll get them eventually. But to begin with, I'm like a contestant on the generation game. I look like Larry Grayson just trying to join in the Morris dancing. It's hopeless. But eventually you get there. But you see their degree of talent is yeah. something else. I knew, I, know, I knew one of the swings who did 42nd Street in London. And obviously the ensemble for that is massive. And he was showing me like his uh, swing Bible where he has notes, everything. And I got oh, you see, that. Yeah, that's nightmarish to me. I can't. I, no. If I haven't rehearsed this for three weeks, gone over it, thought about it, then I'm ready to go on and play with it. But crikey, Riley, no. No, but I think I'm I'm a very unlikely swing, to be fair. Yeah, and I think there's one performance you're saying where he went on for about three or four people that he was the swing for. He said so many people off that he had to go on and do three or four pe- people. And I was like, mate, if that was me, I'd get a headache and I'd forget something. I don't know who, who I'd be on for and things like that. <laughs> no, no, be somewhere in, in a corner bursting into tears, probably. That sounds like my idea of utter hell. No. So what um, shows or roles would you like to play? Do you know, I always make a point of trying not to identify mm. stuff because actually the, the lovely thing is taking what comes. And I think actually trying to plan, I mean, in this business, never plan. Mm. I mean, if you, the only thing I always say is if you really want a job, book a holiday. If you want to be certain to get a job, pay for the holiday. 
So that's that's the key. Always, that's when it happens. But I, increasingly, I, I love doing telly, particularly TV comedy. And, and of course, that's new writing. And there's nothing as exciting as someone saying, I'm just writing this new thing. And I think there's something for you in it. You think, oh, how wonderful to originate something. Yeah. But I mean, I suppose if you're pushing me in terms of a part to play, I've always quite fancied the idea of playing Malvolio in Twelfth Night. Like I could do that. So maybe that one. Yeah. What? How do you um, deal with audition nerves? Well, I would say there's a difference between nice nerves and nasty nerves. So nasty nerves are when they're putting you off, you're shaking, you're thinking about the nerves rather than what you're doing. Nice nerves are when you feel keyed up. Yeah. And for me, the, the difference is this. It's about a psychological thing just before I go in. So instead of thinking, oh, my God, I've got to go in any second and I'm dreading it. Don't make me go in. Don't make me go in. I've got to change that to let me go in now. Let me go in now. I want to go in now. Let yeah. me go in right now. And if that's the thought in your head, it's like, no, I want to do this because I want to stop feeling like this inside all churned up. I want to go in and do it. Yeah. And I can do it. And then you go in and you focus on it and it's like it's a show. Yeah. Like it's a show. You're, it's a performance. You're having, you're doing it. Also remember in, in auditions, they're not expecting perfection. They're not probably even wanting perfection. They want to see something there that says, oh, he can play that. Mm. He can do this. Yeah. There's a moment they're looking for that. So it's not about this has to be perfect, but what they don't want is someone coming in looking terrified because there's not much they can do with that casting wise really yeah two of my friends who i was at uni with they went to the open auditions for cats the royal caribbean production they went to the vocal singing audition um and just after that they made a decision to go to the dance call as well and obviously the cats the dance call is very ballet and things like that and they remember sort of sitting down um, talking to the other people who were at the singing audition and they went, oh, so you're going to the dance audition? They went, yeah, we're going to the dance call. And they went, really? For cats? And they went, yeah, we're going to go. It'll be fine. We'll be, we'll be fine. They went along and they packed, because it's an open audition, obviously loads of people turned up and they packed about 60 people into this really small room and they were at the back stuck in the corner and all the auditionees and that for the dance school, they were trained dancers, ballet dancers who could get their legs up to here wow. and those two at the back shivering in the corner because they just couldn't pick any of it up and the dance, the choreographer, um, she's an American lady, she came in, she was literally there for about three seconds, she taught them the choreography then buggered off. And, and just before she left the room, she's like, is there anyone who needs any help? And about five people put their hands up and she went, no, okay, and left. And <laughs> so there, were about five, there were about five people who didn't know what they were doing. And so including my two friends, and they had to copy the person in front of them who was like a trained dancer and they were getting all the lines right and things like that. And after that, they went, right, so we're going to get you to all the leave the room and then we're going to call you in two at a time and you need to do the choreography oh. from one corner to, <laughs> corner to the next on your own, like in a pair. And they went, well, hang on a minute. We've not been taught to do it. Like We've been taught to do it in a straight line in front of the room and now you want to do it corner to corner travelling. So they left the audition room. They sat there for about five minutes waiting to be called in and they looked at each other. Pat picked up the bags and left. They just, didn't want, they just didn't want to Gosh. be embarrassed. So they picked their bags and went and on the way back um they bumped into a friend of theirs who trained at lane theater arts and she'd just done a dance call as well and she was like i'm so confused by that audition because it's completely different to any other dance call i've done before 
and so they just they didn't they didn't get it. But I mean, because we'd done cats in second year at uni, um, and it was a difficult show to do. So I think they wanted to try out for the professional production, but I think they're going to leave it and not. They, they've sort of written yes, cats yeah, it's a difficult. Yeah, show. I mean, cats is very very particular. I mean. And I was playing. I was playing Gus, which is one of the cats that don't do dancing. I, uh, uh, but they th- shoved me in a few of the choreography numbers. I couldn't pick any of it up. I was just sat there going, "Jelly, I didn't know any of it, and I was at the front row. My, some guy was sat at the front row going, "Fucking." Anyway, what what is your process for creating a character? I think it's a bit different. I don't know that there's a, a method that you use all the time. I, I suppose if you're trying to say to isolate it, what you do is you read it, you you reread it, you then I make some notes on just the character. But the first thing is more what's happening psychologically. If you get the inside of it, what are they trying to do? Even if you're playing really light comedy. If you've got, it's got to be rooted in at least some level of a truth, even if then the playing style is quite exaggerated. It's got to be about something that's true about that person. What is it about them? They are, you know, if it's Patrick Burns in Nativity, although he's a big character, he's bitter. So clearly something's happened in the past, lonely. You know, the sort of child that used to like pulling wings off flies. You know, what is it about him? And then then after you do that, you think, OK, I've got what, what's his relationship to other people? Got that. Now, physically, what's he like? You then have to decide, well, how does he move? Is he, you know, some people use that thing of, is he a ring? Is he a, a glide? You know, then you begin to think, OK, that's what he does. Is he somebody who fiddles? Is he a nervous character or not? And then you think, well, what's the voice like? And you've yeah. got to be very, very specific about it. It's not just where does he come from in the country? Does he have an accent? Is how strong is it? Is it, um, when I did Patrick Burns, I decided that he would be definitely Southeast, probably Kent, I thought, yeah. but trying to not sound like it. So it becomes <clears throat> poshed up Kent or something like that. And that's when you then go, yeah, I think I've got how he sounds, I've got how he moves, and I definitely know what he thinks and feels. And then you're ready to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're having a you're having a dinner party, and you can invite three people from the industry, living or dead. Who are you inviting? Oh gosh, I can have three people from the industry. Yeah. Oh yeah, and living, living or, dead. or dead. Okay, I think I'd like to have. See, they've got to get on, haven't they? I definitely would like to meet Noel Coward. I think he'd be fascinating. So I'm going to go with Noel Coward. I think it would be really interesting to have a chat with William Shakespeare. I mean, I don't know if he'll have watched, because I don't know what the hygiene was like then, but we'll take a chance on that. We'll put him next to the potpourri. And then I think... I'd also like to see from, oh, I tell you who I love, who'd be fabulous, Kathy Burke. Yeah. I think Kathy Burke would be brilliant with those two. I think she'd be lovely with Coward and Shakespeare. That's who I want. I want Noel Coward, William Shakespeare and Kathy Burke. Yeah. What have been some of your favourite theatres to perform in? Oh, tricky one. Lots of different reasons. So one that I really loved 
was the Stephen Joseph up at up in Scarborough, which of course is Eight Balls Theatre, really, where he he originates a lot of his work. And I loved it because it was in the round, and I'd not done in the round for years acting. Then I got a job doing Neville's Island up there, and I wondered if I'd like it. Well, I loved it. There's something about, once you get used to the technicalities of it, having everyone around you and close to you, which is what you want in a play. Mm. You want anyone to feel far away. Oh, I loved it. Just before, it's terrifying, because you think, I'm literally going out into the lion's den here. There's nowhere to hide. There's people behind you, at the side of you. But it's wonderful. So that theatre is very, very special to me. I, I, you know, it's one of those things you go, mm, that's something. Never assume that you don't like something. Actually, you might love it when you try it. And I also have a real soft spot for the St. Martin's Theatre in London, where I did The Mousetrap. Beautiful, 550 seats, perfect playhouse. Q-stick is wonderful. If you can't make yourself heard there, there's something the matter with you. It's beautiful, that theatre. And all backstage there, they have the old wind machine. I mean, it's like you go back in time. It is so fascinating. So that was a wonderful, happy time. So I love that theatre. And I've also got fond memories of the Birmingham Rep. I like the Birmingham Rep. It's where we opened Nativity for the very first time where it had its premiere. So I'm, I'm hugely fond of that theatre too. Beautiful. Yeah. So have you, been keeping, have you been keeping busy for the last few months? Yeah, I loathe lockdown. I can't. I, I, I think it's necessary. Let's be yeah. clear about that. I worry that we un, unlock down too fast. But yeah, I'm lucky, as I, I was saying, I also have another job. So whereas I've been looking on social media, you can see horrific people in horrific situations in the arts who are having to literally sell possessions to pay the rent and it's awful and I'm very fortunate I haven't had to do that because I, I'm, a, as I said, the principal coach at the London Speech Workshop so I've been able to work virtually full-time yeah. so there's been no problem there and I know I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do that and so that was lovely, not having that worry. So that's how I've been keeping busy and also now self-tapes are coming in and so yeah. learning this new skill about how does one self-tape yeah. And it takes a while, but it's beginning to get the hang of it. Yeah. So I think we'll still be doing more self-tapes. I hope it's not just self-tapes. No, I, yeah. I think it would be a, a real thing. You've got to be able to see the whites of someone's eyes too, in a way. Yeah. And also part and parcel of that audition process is the meeting you, especially yeah. telly, because they often want to see if you might be a little bit like the character that they... Yeah because then it's really easy for you to be very convincing because the the camera will sniff out a lie very quickly if it's not authentic so i i hope things go back to in person or at least zoom meetings but you know self-tapes it's a convenient quick way to doing it that gets more people seen so it, it has its advantages too I did a self-tape for a panto back in I think it's end of September, October. We'd done sort of self-taping at uni and things like that. Someone came in and taught us how to do it. So I sort of knew the technicalities. But it was really odd. It was odd not sort of auditioning and seeing the person in front of me. I wish someone had taught me. But mind you, back then, we didn't even used to do showreels then. I mean, we're talking years ago. Years ago. But the beauty about self-taping is I suppose you can do it as many times as you want, you know, yeah, you can, if it goes wrong, you can start again. You decide what goes in. No. It gives you power in a way. So that's nice. Sometimes 
you're pleased about a self-tape if it's really complicated dialogue and you think, Phew, if you had to do this in the room, you would be, you'd have one stab at it. You'd have to have the words on your knee, whereas, you know, there, there are swings and roundabouts, aren't there? Yeah. So do you have any acting jobs lined up for this year? Well, possibly going, Nativity's supposed to go into the Birmingham Rep oh. actually later on this year. So hopefully, it's probably, I, I was discussing this with a friend the other day. It is so difficult, this situation, because you don't know what's going to happen, no. what new variants come along, and you almost don't want to hope for something, because then you've got to unhope for something yeah. and be let down. So I'm trying not to think about it too much, but yeah, there are certain things in the pipeline, and then something else as well that would be lovely too, but we'll see. But at the moment, we're still very much in the world of, well, possibly, possibly, you just don't know. Hopefully... Hopefully, say our prayers. And it's nice sort of seeing recently, especially in the past week, a lot of shows sort of planning their reopening and things like that. You know, especially Yeah, let's shows. just keep our fingers crossed. Let's keep our fingers crossed about how, you know, let's hope the vaccination is okay. Because like we say with the vaccination, providing it stops, even with new variants, it stops serious disease, hospitalizations, mm. death then we can cope with that, but it's just along the yeah, path. Yeah. So we just don't know. I call it the corona coaster. It's like yeah. up, down, hopeful, despairing. You just don't know, do you? Because of, my job had my, because of the job I have, I had my vaccine a couple of months ago. And so I just feel sort of, it's nice really because you sort of feel a big part of us getting, you know, out of all of this and things like that. And you see people- What job do you do? Um, I work in a, a mental health hospital. Um, like in the kitchens and things like that weekends just while you know while the act while our industry shut down and that but we had our vaccine a few weeks ago and it's just sort of nice being you know when you think how awful the past year has been and the fact that we thought we wouldn't maybe get you know we we weren't too sure when a vaccine would come we didn't know if we'd have a have a vaccine did we not really that would work did it hurt was it all right tell me all um so well originally i was meant to have the um pfizer one and I went to my local race course to have it, but they turned me away and they literally sat me down and was about to administer the vaccine. And they're like, oh, have you had any vaccines in the past week? And I went, yeah, the flu vaccine, like seven days oh, ago. Oh, yeah, they won't allow you to have and it, was, was they? With and the lady was like, right, give me seven minutes. And she, was, she talked about to a 15, she spoke to about 15 people just to confirm whether or not I could still have it. And she came back and she got really clo- up close to me and was like, I'm really sorry, but you can't have the vaccine today. Do you mind coming back next week? But they had to send me to work to have it a week later. So I ended up having the Oxford one. But it was literally in and out. I mean, because the Oxford vaccine is what the type of vaccine they've used before. They don't make you wait 15 minutes. Oh, they- do they not? Apparently, some people say the, the arm gets a bit achy and you might feel a bit man fluey for a day afterwards. I but felt that's quite- it rough for about 24 48 hours i had to take the day off work the next day because about eight o'clock at, yeah, about eight o'clock at night i started feeling really tired and within two hours i just felt rough i couldn't sort of i thought i felt awful so i had to bring in work and was like not coming in tomorrow just feel rough so i spent spent the next sort of two days working uh, resting on me and like how rough so so rough on a scale of what like can't get out of bed or just feeling a bit yuck just feeling a bit icky, sick, and things like that. Yeah. Headachey, nothing serious. I mean, I mean, when, when I'm terrible. I'm, I'm awful with being ill. If ever I'm old in an old people's home, I shall be awful. Oh, I'll be. If ever I'm in Denville Hall, I shall be. At, I because I can't bear being ill. I really, I'm terrible. 
I was always the same. I can't bear it. Apparently when I was little and I was ill, I would never say I was ill. Mm. I used to go up to my mum and say, I feel very cross. And that was apparently, and she'd say, do you mean ill? Do you mean ill? Because apparently I would say, I feel really cross. And that meant, because that's how I feel inside. <laughs> I'm not one of those little Nell, elegantly wan and suffering on a chair. I'm not that at all. So watch out if it's me. Well, I st- I start old, if you're caring for me and old people, so. I started panicking a bit because over the, you hear all these stories about, you know, vaccine, you know, people making up conspiracy theories about the vaccine and say it's going to make you really ill and things like that. And I didn't believe any of it, obviously. But when I started feeling a bit rough two hours after having the vaccine, Something in my head was going, what about they've got a point? What about this vaccine is actually dodgy? I'm yeah, I mean, yeah, but the thing is with vaccines is that it's always known that if you had to go abroad and they inocul- inoculate you for all sorts of ghastly things, don't they? You nearly always feel just dreadful about 24 hours afterwards. Mm. So it's known that because it, what it's doing is it's giving you a, a little bit of this thing to train your body to say, now if you encounter the big bugger, you're actually going to be just fine. Yeah. One final question. What advice would you give to people coming into the industry? I would say you should only do it if you really love it, if you need to do it, if you feel that you absolutely need to do it. I would say that you need to really sit down and have a chat with yourself about saying, why do I feel I can do it? And also believe in yourself. So if you're always looking for external validation in this industry, important though it is to get jobs, you won't be happy. You have to ultimately have an an inner core of a self-belief about what you think you can do and why you love it. And also, as I was saying to you before, about making sure that getting an acting job is never an escape from a life you don't like. That would be my advice. So there's a little bit of, of sort of... Uh, how you your own head state advice there but also a bit of practical advice about how you organize your life too yeah I mean over the past few months I've had to have a lot of you know because obviously the industry being shut and the fact that it's going to be a gradual reopening I've had to sort of sit down and think is it what I want to do I mean I've known for years yeah. that it's what I want to do to do and I was when I left school I went obviously went to college and I did a BTEC in performing arts and then went to uni and I got to spend five years studying what I wanted to study and, you know, in a subject that I'm really passionate about. So I left uni knowing that's what I wanted to do. But then I'd sort of think to myself, look, this is going to be a gradual reopening of the industry. And it's going to be, I think, the survival of the fittest and everyone's going to go back into it and, you know, auditioning for stuff. And there's going to be a lot more rejections. So I've had to sort of sit down and think, is it what I want to do? And I'm able, and am I prepared to wait? For that first job and I just had to sit down and go yeah it is what I want to do I don't yeah. want to do anything else and I will find a way of making it happen and if I, if I have to wait two three years for my first acting job that's what I'm prepared to do but I'm not going to give up you know, I'm going to get yeah. my headshots done I'm going to get my showreel put together and I will send it off to people and I've got an agent at the moment and okay. I, had an email, I had an email the other day who she contacted me about a, a, a job possibly late on the year abroad couldn't audition for it because I was work the day it had to be in. But to see that email start to come through and sort of possibility of getting work, it filled me with a bit of hope really because I've had for the past few weeks I've felt really down and things like that. And so to get that email through about, oh, hi, Dominic, you know, do you want to audition for this um, holiday resort in Cyprus? 
No, they're looking for yeah. to get that. Although I couldn't. Well, I wish it. you, I, I wish you all the very, very best of luck with it. Yeah. I really do. And if you know that's what you want to do, then you, you go for it. Yeah. You absolutely go for it. And it sounds like you've got absolutely the right attitude. So I, I wish you all the very, very best of luck. Thank you. I've run out of questions, but thank you for letting me chat to you today. It's been very kind of you. I love chatting to you and getting to know you and things like that. I've seen your nativity in that, so I knew who you were beforehand, but it's really nice to get to see, talk to you in person. Thank you and good luck, good luck with the next few months and all the acting work and things like that. And keep Thank safe. you. It's been an absolute pleasure.